Howdy, folks. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of TGC Midweek. Jacob and Michael back with you on the pod, continuing our overview of the Bible series. Michael, what's going on, man? Three days till Christmas. How is your Christmas week shaping up? It's shaping up okay. Yeah, um, yeah the kids are out of school, and we've got presents wrapped, um, and uh, we'll move them under the tree on Christmas Eve, I think. Rachel's yeah. still got them in our closet, <laughs> wrapped in our closet. Yeah. Um, you get to the point where you have kids our age, and whew, you got to keep They're them pretty well hidden. Yeah. They're searching. I yeah. remember being that age, and you know, you can find them in, in between dad's suits in the closet. Uh-huh. <laughs> The house I grew up in, in the garage, there was like this sort of random closet uh, that was that was there, and it, it just it seemed out of place. This sort of obscure closet, and uh, that's just where all the Christmas gifts were. Now, are you? And the, everyone knew it. Are you the type of guy who, if you knew your presents are in the closet, would you want to see them before oh, yeah. Christmas yeah. or wait until Christmas? I, I dislike uncertainty. Okay. <laughs> I work in finance, so uncertainty is uh, is yeah. the enemy. And so, yeah, I, I go and search those things out. Nice. Yeah. Man, I, I'm off this week, off work, and I realize that Christmas is a downtime for most of us, but it's probably like one of your busy seasons. Yeah, there is some things. Go- there are some things going on, and uh, you know, working in campus ministry for seven years, it was definitely an off season. Mm-hmm. We'd be able to go home, home quotes. You know, home is San Antonio for us now, but we'd be able to go visit our families in Tennessee, and um, and now that's just not an option. Yeah, and so uh, it's definitely a little bit different, and we'll be here for Christmas like we have been the past few years, just by ourselves with our family. Do y'all have any odd family Christmas traditions? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, normally, uh, on Christmas Eve, we'll do kind of an appetizer dinner and allow the kids to open one present mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve night. I don't think that's abnormal uh, from what a lot of families do. And then, um, you know, Rachel really insists on letting the kids go to bed before we put the wrapped Christmas presents under the tree on mm-hmm. Christmas night, mm-hmm. Christmas Eve night. So they come down to you know, a new round of gifts, oh, yeah. so to speak, um, on Christmas morning. So the Christmas Eve gift thing was always tricky for me as a kid, because on the one hand, you you want to open that gift and, and see what's under the tree if you don't know. And um, there's just that that excitement because you go to you go to church and then sometimes we would drive around, and look at Christmas lights mm-hmm. and then you get home and you unwrap. But then you're like robbing your joy from the next morning because then there's less gifts to <laughs> yes. unwrap the next yeah. morning. So there's this cost benefit analysis that 10 yep. year old Jacob was always trying to figure out of, oh. of where is the, where is the uh, uh, most net positive utility that I can get from this situation. Yep. In fact, it kind of makes Christmas day afternoon, kind of one of the more boring days of the year. Yeah. Cause all of your presents have been open. Obviously the kids are playing with things. And so yeah. that's nice. So we would normally go see a movie on Christmas. Yeah, us too. On the Christmas evening. But I don't think that's an option this year. It's not. That, that's funny that you mentioned that. We would do that, uh, not forever, but probably, uh, when I was in high school, we started doing that. Yeah. A lot Christmas. of good movies come out on Christmas day. Movies are out. There's not much else yeah. you can do. And we'd go see a movie and yeah. Yeah. yeah good stuff. Good stuff. Well, what else is good? G is here to tell us. G, what's your boost and bummer this week, sir? Well, gents, since you guys brought up movies, uh, we'll start off with the bummer, which isn't exactly a bummer, but maybe a partial bummer that maybe some folks at uh, Trinity Grace can help me out with. So I am a Christopher Nolan fan. Um, I love most of his movies, if not all of his movies. 
if you guys don't know who Christopher Nolan is, he's a, direct, a director. He did Batman Begins and that trilogy. Um, he did Inception, um, Interstellar. And recently, he did a movie called Tenet. Now, this was recommended by my brother, and I had a chance to watch it over the weekend. And it's not. this isn't a movie review. You guys don't tune in for movie reviews to TGC Midweek, and so I'm not going to do any spoilers. But uh, it was a tough one for me. Um, not... I had a tough time keeping up. If you don't know anything about Christopher Nolan, he his movies are thinker movies. They tend to really challenge you, and you have to kind of really think about what you saw. And uh, I was trying to think about how to explain the, the feeling or sensation that I had watching the movie. And really kind of two things came to mind, and, and maybe some of y'all out there can uh, you know identify with this. One is... I don't know if any of y'all remember or have been on a date where you're sitting across from somebody and who's just out of your league and you're just trying to catch up and you're just like, oh, I'm so far behind here. I'm just going to be nice because clearly you're just out of my league. The other thing that reminded me of was organic chemistry in college where I kind of walked in and I knew the professor thinking, oh, this is going to be good good class. I'm excited. And within 15 minutes, I realized that everyone has their intellectual track shoes on and I'm still going with the Texas Mosey. (laughs) And it was behind the eight ball from square one. And so that's kind of what this movie was like. I watched it. I talked to my brother and I was like, I have no idea what I just saw. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm, now to his defense. I, I watched it at night so I am nowhere near, had nowhere near the peak of my powers mm-hmm. to be able to really chew on the movie and, and, and follow it as, as well as I'd like. So the bummer that I did not enjoy it as much as I hoped I would, um, and hopefully less of a bummer if someone out there in podcast land, if you've seen it and you understand it, um, Pull me aside after church. We can go out to lunch and you can explain it to me. I'm happy to learn about it. I may even watch it again, probably in the morning when I have a little bit more of my energy and my mental uh, faculties available to to process a Christopher Nolan movie. But, you know, Tenant, if you're in for, uh, if you're up for a movie that's going to hurt you a little bit, make your brain hurt, um, that's one. It's great cinematography, great filmmaking. Uh, it's just one heck of a script. Uh, so, yeah, that's my little bit of a bummer. Um, on the flip side, Boost, kind of following a little bit of what Michael uh, did last week. This isn't an artist, but it is a, a podcast. So if you're um, – I'd rec- and it's also now a Netflix series, uh, a podcast that turned into a Netflix series. But it's called Song Exploder. Um, it's a podcast that started about six years ago. I've been tracking it for about three or four years. Premise of the podcast, if you're interested, is uh, the host uh, interviews artists about uh, a song of theirs, and it's about 25 to 30 minutes long, and they go through the song, and and the host has the stems, um, which are, for those of you guys who are not musically inclined, they're kind of the individual tracks of the song. So if there's a bass or a drum or a guitar he actually has, and a lot of times they have the actual demos from their iPhones. 
And so they'll see, you'll see how a song has actually formed from inception mm. to the finished product. And the artist is kind of explaining, like, sometimes it takes six months. Sometimes they put together in the studio in three days. And so it's really just fascinating to hear from these artists of songs that you may have heard of, um, how they put these things together and how they come about. And there's, it's clear if you listen to the episodes that all different ways to put music and songs together. So Song Exploder, it's a podcast I'd recommend. It's also now a series on Netflix. There's, I think there's eight episodes up and there's some um, pretty cool ones. So uh, for, I'll, I'm sure the folks in TGC are listening to all sorts of music. So if you're into Dua Lipa, there's, there's an episode with Dua Lipa. There's Lin-Manuel Miranda. There's R.E.M., Losing My Religion, for those of you guys who are 90s kids. Um, so there's a lot of uh, Alicia Keys. So there you go. Song Exploder is the boost. And, uh, yeah, happy Merry Christmas, everybody. Good stuff. I know that must be good because uh, I don't know anyone who you just mentioned. So that's how I know that it must wow. be pretty yeah. good. Um, I think that's Alicia Keys. I, 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 R.E.M.? I, that's like when you sleep, right? That's the that's when you dream. Whoa. <laughs> I love this. Uh, no, but that's the podcast that... Uh, so my, my boss mentioned this. There's some group that I don't... Uh, I'm not familiar with, but they compose the lyrics to their songs using an Excel spreadsheet. Hmm. Because the guy would... <laughs> the guy would take like just random phrases that he thought sounded cool and categorize them in some way. And then use kind of a random number generator to get like, you know, a line in a song according to whatever meter it was to be written to. And uh, I think that's pretty cool. So if there's <laughs> that, if there's something I can get behind in terms of music, it's uh, using Microsoft Excel to write your lyrics for you. Man, so I'll tell I'm, you. A, I'm a fan. Um, now we just need to incorporate offset match into that uh, mm-hmm. sort of thing. And, um, that would be an Excel joke for the one person out there <laughs> that might get it. Um, oh, goodness. Yeah, you want to talk about niche comedy? Excel jokes. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, boy, this is, we've been kind of all over the place yeah. today so far. Well, Let, let's get to it let's then. Let's do it. So, uh, last couple of weeks, we've been in the gospel accounts, uh, been in the New Testament for a while now. Um, this time getting into Acts, which uh, we talked about the Gospels being historical accounts, but Acts is really one that reads as a history in the same way, I, most analogous, I think, to the way some of the Old Testament histories read, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It really is classified as uh, the New Testament historical book, if you had to classify classify it in any way. And it really recounts for us the beginnings of the church, the beginnings of Christianity, and I've mentioned this man before um, who is a sociologist named Rodney Stark, but he poses uh, an interesting question when he considers the rise of Christianity. And he asks this, he asks, how did a tiny and obscure messianic movement from the edge of the Roman Empire dislodge classical paganism and become the dominant faith of Western civilization? And Acts is really the answer to that question that he asks, um, the very beginning of of the story. Um, and it recounts how a small band of uneducated men and women turned the world upside down with a message of grace and mercy. And it's an exciting story because we get not only a chance to read it, but in many ways we get a chance to be a part of it. Um, it's a It's a story that's continuing to this day. 
Um, and um, we are actually playing a, a role in what God is up to um, as he takes the gospel message to the ends of the earth, um, which in the apostles' mind would be San Antonio, Texas. Well, in the apostles' mind, it would be like Spain. Well, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so it would have been like Spain. Well beyond the Yeah, that's the exactly earth. what I meant to say. <laughs> Spain would have been the ends of the earth to them. Their minds would have exploded if, first off, I guess that it would have exploded if they knew that there were more, you know, territory beyond what they knew. Yeah. Uh, but you get the picture, yes, right? Like, yes. We're, nobody would have ever expected, you know, the gospel to have moved this far, um, especially in those early days of, of the book of Acts. Sure. So uh, we're going to spend two weeks here on Acts. Uh, the first weeks um, kind of camping out in chapters 1 through 12. And um, this is just the way that I see it. This is sort of uh, the part of the book where Paul is not the predominant figure yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the apostles kind of gathering together right after Jesus's resurrection and ascension and kind of in a what do we do now sort of thing. Peter becomes sort of the de facto leader of this group, gives a couple of good sermons. Yep. Um, I'll let you launch into it here in a minute, but maybe before yeah. you do, can you give us a good idea of what it means to be an apostle? Yeah. Um, so an apostle, the, the best place to go, and we were talking about a little bit before. So Judas uh, actually, um, uh, after he betrays the Lord, um, he commits suicide. Um, and, and likely uh, out of his shame and guilt for what he had done. Um, and uh, because of that, at the beginning of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, um, the apostles that are there, the disciples that have followed Jesus uh, through his ministry, um, decide that they need to elect another one to take Judas's place. And uh, in chapter 1, verse 21, um, Peter uh, takes charge And he says uh, this, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And so that's really what an apostle is, a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the requirements for being an apostle is you had to have actually been with Jesus and have witnessed his resurrection because that's the message that you are taking out to the known world. Now, we do have a little bit of um, uh, an exception made for the apostle Paul. Uh, but uh, in Acts chapter 9, Jesus actually approaches the Apostle Paul as he's on the road to Damascus, and Paul actually sees the risen Lord with his own eyes. Um, and so he is given, in some senses, a special exemption uh, into the aposto- apostolic band. Uh, but he even mentions uh, he, he is... Um, he realizes this, that he's given this special exemption, uh, even in some of the uh, ways that he talks about himself in the epistles that he writes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in, in one epistle, he talks about himself as um, one who was untimely born um, and uh, basically referencing the fact that, you know, while he didn't live and walk and talk and touch Jesus during his earthly ministry, he was commissioned by him in a very special sense in yeah. Acts chapter 9. We'll certainly get to more of that um, probably next week. Um, but he also calls himself in, in other places in his epistles, the least of all the apostles. Yeah, that probably has something to do with, you know, something to do with it as well. Can, I ask, can I ask you a question you didn't think you'd be asked when you walked in here? Sure. 
<laughs> uh, we talked about uh, Judas and his suicide. This is a question I've always had, and I don't know if uh, I've ever really asked anyone, but it it says in Acts 1, um, 18, talking about Judas, now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out, uh, which is pretty graphic. But mm-hmm. elsewhere, it describes his suicide as he, he hanged himself. So what should we make of this apparent contradiction? Yeah. So what does it say now? This man bought a field with a reward and falling headlong, he burst open. I don't think there's a contradiction. I think that um, what I've always heard is um, that he hanged himself and basically uh, somehow, whether he was, I mean, this, I don't want to get too graphic, whether he was cut down or whether something happened where the limb broke or, I mean, he fell and burst open. Um, and so okay. I don't know if there's a contradiction. Body be, swells as pressure. Yeah. You see a, a dead animal inside the road with his legs up. Sure. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's more graphic than we might have wanted to uh, have gotten. But um, anyway, all that. Do to we say, need to uh, recount the Esther episode? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So all that to say, I, I don't know if there's a contradiction. I just think you have to read those two things uh, together. And that's how I've always understood. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Sorry for my little no uh, aside there. That's just something that I was kind of. Uh, irked me a little bit. Um, okay, so let's talk about the author of this book a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, most folks would, I, I don't think there's a ton of disagreement out there that this is written by Luke. I mean, it's certainly written by whoever wrote the gospel of Luke, um, and we have no reason to doubt that's anyone but this fellow Luke. It starts with the same um, address to the same person, Theophilus. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a lot of ways, this is sort of part two of, of what he's writing. Yeah, it is part two of Luke's uh, first account, uh, his gospel account. And Luke was really uh, a disciple of Paul. And you actually get a sense that he is experiencing Paul's missionary journeys um, firsthand. Uh, in fact, I think in the book of Acts later on, he talks about himself in the first person as being there with Paul during some of his journeys. And so um, it's it's fairly uh, beyond dispute that Luke is the author of Acts. Um, and uh, it's interesting the way that he opens up his book. Like you mentioned, he uh, entitles it to the same person that he entitled uh, his gospel account to. And uh, he opens by saying, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, referencing his gospel account. Uh, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so it leads folks to say, well, Jesus began to do and teach things in the um, in the book of Luke, in the gospel of Luke, and now Jesus is going to continue to do and teach things uh, through his apostles in the book of Acts. And traditionally, the book of Acts is known as the Acts of the Apostles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's Jesus's ministry that is carried on through his followers, through his apostles uh, out into the world. Um, and uh, and so that's kind of what you're getting in the book of Acts is Jesus's work and ministry continuing through his followers. Gotcha. So one of the first uh, big events that happens in Acts is Pentecost. So in this uh, instance, um, some of the apostles are speaking, and this is when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And even though there's a very diverse crowd of different um, ethnic groups and different kinds of people, they all are hearing what the apostles are saying in their own tongue. Um, 
there's this interesting language of tongues of fire coming to rest upon them. What should we make of this Pentecost event? Yeah. Remember back in John chapter 16, I think it was, Jesus said that it's better for me to leave because if I leave, I'll send the comforter uh, your way. And this is what he's talking about. Um, he's talking about uh, sending them the Holy Spirit. And so uh, in Acts chapter 2, you see the Holy Spirit descending on people. Um, you see um, uh, folks, like you mentioned, um, speaking in different languages and understanding those languages as they proclaim the goodness and the grace of God. And a great way to think about this is a reversal of the Tower of Babel story back in Genesis chapter 11. Back in Genesis chapter 11, you might remember that mankind wanted to be like God in many ways, and so they built a tower uh, to reach to the heavens so that they, they might make a great name for themselves. And as punishment for that action, God basically um, disturbs their language um, and gives them a number of different languages so they can no longer understand each other, and they disperse through uh, throughout the known world at that time. And in Acts chapter 2, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, you actually see a reversal of that happening, uh, where people are coming back together, um, where they understand one another once again, um, and uh, and God is coming to live in their hearts. Mm-hmm. And so what you see is the Holy Spirit descending upon these people, um, and it used to be that, that that if you wanted to experience God's presence in this world, you had to go to a specific location to do that, according to, to the Jews and according to the Old Testament. Um, God was most present in his temple. Um, if you wanted to experience God, you would go to Jerusalem or you would go to the tabernacle as they were making their way through the wilderness um, to the land of Canaan and Exodus, and you'd experience God's presence. Well, now the Holy Spirit is coming to live inside the followers of Christ's heart. And so if you want to experience God's goodness and generosity and renewing power, you no longer have to go to the temple to experience that. We are the folks that bring that to bear out in this world now. And so you can think about it as Christ followers are where heaven and earth meet now. It used to be the temple, but now it's us because the Spirit has come to dwell in our hearts and it's it's exciting um, when you think about it that way, that we have got the power or the dynamite of the Spirit within us. I mean, we don't often think about the power that's in us that way. Um, but, um, I mean, when we say that God lives in our heart, um, now, obviously, we're not talking about, you know, the organ. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about um, things in a more spiritual way. But it's no less real that God is is living inside of us, and we are temples of the Holy Spirit, um, as Paul would say later in his letters. Um, we are where heaven and earth meet, and we are the opportunity for this world to get a taste of God's generosity and renewing power as we move out and serve and love our friends and our neighbors in the power of the Spirit. So since I have... Since since the, my heart is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I have God living in me in this in this way, um, does that mean I can take my um, religious life and privatize it and um, simply kind of uh, retreat into my own um, thoughts and persuasions? Because after all, I have the Holy Spirit living within me, and so I don't need anyone else because God is with me. And so, if I want to experience God, I don't even have to leave my house. 
Is that what I should take from this? Absolutely not. I think that um, I think that that's Jesus, what we call softball. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> softball for more preaching. Um, I think that that is uh, that would just be completely disregarding uh, the the reason why mm-hmm. Jesus wanted to send the Spirit into our hearts and into this world. The reason why is so that we could accomplish His mission of taking the gospel or the good news to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so, you know, Jesus gives his disciples a mission, and it would have been pretty um, disappointing if he had given them a mission without the power to accomplish that mission. And so in Acts chapter 2, you see him uh, right on the heels of giving them a mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. He actually provides the power by which they are going to do that, and that's the power of the Spirit living inside Mm -hmm. them. And uh, as you think about it that way, it's pretty beautiful that Jesus gives us a mission and the power to accomplish the mission. And nothing's changed. Um, We still have the same power that these initial apostles and disciples had when they were moving out in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. So unpack that a little bit, because there are instances of like Peter and John performing miracles of healing. Sure. And so uh, when they were performing miracles of healing, what what that was doing was authenticating um, their apostolic authority. And so they were still receiving uh, divine revelation um, that they were trying to convey to the churches that were being established. And in order to gain an ear, in order to add power to their proclamation, um, the Lord blessed them with signs and wonders. Um, in order to validate uh, their preaching ministry that really highlighted the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now that the canon is closed or you know the revelation has ceased, uh, we've got all the books of the Bible that we're ever going to have, um, is another way to put it. No longer uh, is the Lord using those signs and wonders to authenticate our message in the same way um, that signs and wonders were being used by Peter and Paul and the other apostles. That is not to say that God doesn't have the power um, to perform those miracles any longer. Um, I say that we see that uh, that power in different ways now through changed lives, mm. um, through folks experiencing renewal in ways they never thought was possible, um, in the way that they love and serve others. Um, and so it's not as dramatic. Um, they're not what we would call miracles that are happening today, um, but no less powerful Uh, The signs and wonders and miracles were just given for a certain time to authenticate the message that was being brought by the the first apostles. Very good. Um, So after we have this uh, Pentecost event, Peter gives a sermon. I don't know if there's any uh, comments you want to make on this, uh, but I know you wanted to hit on the fellowship of believers a little bit. Yeah, it's just interesting that um, this is what God's people were supposed to be doing. This is exactly what uh, the leaders of the church, um, not the church, the leaders of uh, Israel, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes and um, the teachers of the law should have been up to was caring for folks, um, was participating in authentic worship, um, but they weren't doing it. And so what you see in Acts chapter 2 is the fellowship of believers, the followers of Jesus took it upon themselves uh, to do it. And, and uh, beginning in verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. And so they had a standard by which they were listening uh, or living their lives, the apostles' teaching. Um, they were with one another, breaking bread, and they were praying with each other. Um, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
um, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And so you just get this sense of real rich um, community that was being experienced by these followers of Jesus. At this point, it was likely just a few hundred folks Mm -hmm. that have come to believe that Jesus uh, was the risen Lord of the universe. Um, And so they had to band together. Um, And they did it uh, in a really beautiful way that the church um, should seek to emulate uh, in a lot of ways today. You know, I've often uh, found folks that will take this passage and use this as um, some sort of uh, biblical justification for socialism or communism. Uh, What do you think about that? Um, I think that that's off base because – it's it's pretty obvious that they still had their own personal private property because if you flip forward a few chapters, you get the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Mm-hmm. And basically what was happening is folks were selling all that they had and they were bringing it to contribute to the fellowship. And this was all voluntary. Mm-hmm. None of it was coerced. Um, none of it was forced. Uh, and Ananias and Sapphira, they sell a, sell a field of theirs, and they hold back a little bit of the profit that they made, but they make it seem like they were giving everything, uh, and the Lord judged them for that. Now, he didn't judge them because they didn't give everything. He judged them because they were lying, yeah. because they weren't being honest. And so it just leads us to believe that personal property was still um, you know, enjoyed uh, among the followers of Jesus. Um, and uh, that this was not a socialistic environment by any stretch, but it was a very generous environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of the what we should take away from it. What is what is radical generosity with the fellowship of believers look like? And and that's just the, that's the key point is that it's within the fellowship of of believers. So this is a church acting in this way as it's described with uh, amongst itself. It's not any kind of state policy or anything like I think some people would like to see. And yep. so I, I've always said that I, um, since I'm not a preacher, I can talk about my own political persuasions. But um, yeah. <laughs> I've always said that you know I can I, I am, am pretty conservative, but I I can be a a quasi socialist vis a vis my local church and my relationship to it in the in the sense that I give to it what I can so that it can give to others what they need. Sure. That's a great way to think about it. And, and, uh, and it's all voluntary. And uh, uh, government welfare crowds out that kind of altruism. But that's not this podcast. Yep. <laughs> I would listen to that podcast if you made it. But <laughs> Sorry, Michael's going, stop, stop. No, no. <laughs> um, okay, so next I think we can talk about uh, – so the next thing we really see is that the apostles start to get um, – there's some scrutiny that starts to be placed upon them by some of the – um, the Jewish religious leaders, mm-hmm. and there starts to be a uh, persecution that is, um, I guess, informally leading up to formally in in Jerusalem there um, against them and causes them to sort of start to push outward. Yes, and so you get, you start to see persecution happening, and um, uh, basically the religious leaders are not happy. They had thought that they had put this whole fairy tale to to rest when they executed Jesus. Um, But now it's gaining more power than they ever had experienced before because the Holy Spirit has come to live in hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. And his power is now basically moving through uh, Jerusalem. And uh, uh, you get a little bit of a sense that they they call special meetings to figure out what they're going to do with these apostles. And I love in Acts chapter um, um, 5— 
in the midst of uh, Peter um, being uh, uh, before the religious leaders and they're figuring out what are we going to do with this guy? Um, one of them in, in verse 37 uh, after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people. After him, he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. And so this is the advice that, that somebody says. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But as but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And so um, I just love that, that that one of the religious leaders stood up and said, look, I mean, if this is from God, we're not going to be able to stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they beat him and let him go, and persecution <laughs> begins to happen. Uh, I love and, how letting them go involves a, a brief beating. Yeah, a brief beating. <laughs> that's right. Um, and... Uh, and it's great. Uh, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So with this threat of persecution, they were rejoicing that they were uh, considered worthy to suffer for the name of Christ and continued to preach and teach, which culminates in Stephen's story. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is found at the beginning or the middle of verse uh, chapter six and stretches uh, to chapter seven. And Stephen is basically stoned. Um, and after he's stoned, persecution is just completely um, rampant at that point, which pushes the disciples of Jesus beyond Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. Mm-hmm. Um, and so persecution is really the avenue or the vehicle through which God grows the church and pushes it beyond Jerusalem, which is counterintuitive and interesting. It is counterintuitive counterintuitive and interesting. One of the stories I've often heard preached that I, I like quite a bit um, that shows this, uh, that that is just a visual example of the gospel being pushed out of Jerusalem to the ends of the earth is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh-huh. Um, I think this is a great story because Ethiopia probably – uh, would be, you know, the southern tip, I suppose, of the known world. Um, yeah. I'm not probably getting that exactly right, but it was a far and exotic land. Yep. Um, and here is the Ethiopian eunuch, and it happens to be reading from the scroll of Isaiah, and Philip hears what he's reading because he's reading it aloud. And it's just one of these, these stories where you have uh, one of the apostles connecting what's written in the Old Testament all to Jesus, I think is my favorite thing because, mm-hmm. I don't know, that's my shtick is that all of this stuff holds together and what you're reading in the Old Testament is not disassociated from what's happening in the New. And so um, that's just a story that yeah. I really enjoy and there's other ones too. Yep. And in fact, if you enjoy that, um, you know, you should really read uh, Acts chapter 7 and Stephen's speech. Because he starts with mm. Abraham and gives you basically a crash course in Old Testament history leading up to Jesus, and then points a finger at the religious leaders and said, "You were the one who murdered the author of life," mm-hmm. and that did not make the religious leaders very happy, and so they took up stones to uh, to kill him. And that's where you see yeah. uh, Saul holding on to, uh, I guess, the the cloaks or the tunics of those who were throwing the stones in mm-hmm. order to murder Stephen. So we talked about Saul there holding on to the cloaks of those that are stoning Stephen. Then in um, Acts chapter 9, we get this conversion story of Saul. And this is where he becomes Paul and kind of where he becomes 
um, eligible for the office of apostle through, um, I don't know, would we call it a little bit of a technicality? Yeah, that's right. Uh, a special exception, maybe. Yeah. Um, but Paul was not one that was uh, with Jesus uh, during his earthly ministry. Um, but um, he is someone who the Lord is going to use mightily uh, in the second portion of the book of mm-hmm. Acts. And uh, you get a little bit of Paul's resume in Philippians chapter 3, too, when he talks about who he was before he met Christ and calls himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Uh, he lists out his resume as someone who was just a stringent follower of the law. He would have been educated in some of the most prestigious uh, educational institutions of the day um, in Tarsus. Uh, and so um, pedigree off the charts. Um, but it's interesting that he gives all of that up. Uh, in order to follow Jesus and to make him known. Um, Roman citizen, uh, Paul was, but we can we can hang on to that and talk about Paul a little bit more uh, next week when we get into his part of the story in the latter portion of the book of Acts. Sure. Um, okay, very good. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here? So, um, oh, we have... Uh, Peter's vision of yeah. uh, the sheep coming down with all the animals. And I know there is a much deeper um, point to this story, but um, I've always been told that this is a reason we can eat pork. Well, it's the reason <laughs> the Jews could eat pork, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think Gentiles were always enjoying yes, pork. Yes, of course. Uh, and so uh, Peter, this would have been uh, um, kind of uh, paradigm altering for him. Um, and it was a way that God was trying to let him know um, that I have not just come for um, the Israelites. Um, I've also come to welcome Gentiles uh, into my church, into my family. Um, and so um, it's kind of uh, a wake-up moment for Peter. Um, after he gets this wake-up moment from God, uh, he actually goes and proclaims the gospel to Cornelius, who is a Gentile believer. Cornelius and his whole household believe what Peter is saying to them. Uh, they place their faith in Jesus. They're baptized. And Peter is basically seeing firsthand what God is up to. Um, the Holy Spirit is going to fall on the Gentiles and uh, Jew and Gentile are going to come together to form one grand family of God. And the book of Ephesians is really all about that, how Jews and Gentiles come together as one people of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and no longer is it Israel and the rest of the world. It's the church of Jesus Christ made up of Jew, Gentile, um, and also every other um, nationality and ethnicity and language uh, in the in the known world. Well, I think to say Jew and Gentile is pretty all encompassing. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's basically yep. A and B being de- B being defined as everything that's not A. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, another interesting thing that some folks stumble upon is the Holy Spirit. You'll see the Holy Spirit once folks are baptized come upon people, mm. and folks can sometimes have a problem with that. But what's happening is as the apostles are taking the message out further from Jerusalem and Gentiles are coming to believe for the first time, uh, the Holy Spirit falling upon them is giving them some continuity with what happened in Acts chapter 2. It's basically inviting them into the story and giving them the same power. Um, And it's just a way for uh, folks in the moment to see they're just as included um, as the believers in Acts chapter 2 would be. So what did that... Um, what do we think that looked like practically? I mean, were they speaking, was this sort of, uh, uh, everybody hearing their message in their own language thing happening again? Like when they say the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles, like what, uh, 
How do you see that? How does one see that happen at all? Well, I mean, you get a you get a sense of it in Acts chapter ten, starting in verse forty four. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. That's the Jews, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. Mm. So the Gentiles are receiving the Spirit like the Jews. The problem is there's some branches of the church that say you're baptized with water and then you get an extra special baptism with Mm. the Holy Spirit. And that's not the case. The Holy Spirit was coming upon these believers um, in order to authenticate the message of Peter, but also to show Peter and the Jewish disciples that they are just as in Mm -hmm. as the Israelites were. And so it's really a special sign for that day and age that we should not expect to see happen today. Um, When we believe on Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit in our hearts um, there's not a, a gift of the Spirit that we should be seeking. Um, there's not a baptism of the Spirit that we should be seeking beyond conversion and mm-hmm. repentance and faith. Um, this was simply um, a special um, a special time in church history where the Spirit um, was basically um, authenticating the yeah. Gentiles into the family of God. That's That's right. There's a lot in Acts that I think would be erroneous for us to look to and expect to happen in the um, day-to-day operations of your modern local church, because um, there's a ton of uniqueness happening here because this is when the church is beginning and it's altering paradigms socially, culturally, and religiously. And so um, there's a lot that has to happen that um, no one would expect anything else to continue to have the same characteristics mm-hmm. as it had in, when it at its launch. Yep. Like the origin story of anything does not persist through the rest of the story of that thing. Yep. Eventually that thing hits some kind of steady state yep. and we have to make conclusions about the steady state because that's what we're living. That's in. a great point. And if you expect this to be the blueprint of your church, then you're going to get in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. And that's the point you're making. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, um, I think last thing, I know you wanted to hit on the church in Antioch. Yeah. Kind of becomes the beachhead church in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, And that's where Peter kind of, uh, his his portion of the story ends in some ways, although he's still mentioned. Um, But the the baton is passed in some ways to Paul uh, from this point on in the book of Acts. Um, And so Antioch uh, was actually the first place where the followers of the Lord were called Christians. Um, it says uh, in, in verse 26, um, for a whole year, they met with the church of Antioch and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Um, and so Antioch is kind of uh, the last um, uh, part of the world before the apostles are going to take the message to the ends of the earth. Um, Antioch uh, would have been kind of... Uh, um, that, that, that frontier territory where they set up a beachhead, as you said, multicultural, multi-ethnic church, um, and they're going to launch missionary journeys from Antioch. It's really a, a missionary sending church, the first missionary sending church, I guess we could say, That's right. uh, of the New Testament. Well, I think that about brings us um, to chapter 12. I think we can probably wrap it up there for the evening. 
and pick up again next week and start talking um, about the rest of Acts as Paul becomes kind of a central character for us. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap it up? I don't think so. Uh, yeah, that that was pretty uh, pretty pretty exhaustive moving through uh, <laughs> chapters one through twelve. Yeah, it was good stuff. Well, folks, we appreciate you tuning in to this edition of TGC Midweek. Hope you're listening as you're driving to your Christmas uh, destination or plans, whatever you're doing. Hope you're staying safe and enjoying some good family time. We appreciate you tuning in. As always, if you have questions about the Bible, specifically about the New Testament, we would love to get those, and it'll help guide some of the discussion that we'll have in coming weeks. If you have those questions, you can email them to questions at trinitygracesa.org, or you can text those questions anonymously to the number that you'll find on the back of your Sunday morning bulletin. Well, this has been TGC Midweek, and until next time, we'll see you later.